and welcome to this week's edition of SBC This Week, a roundup of news and views from around the Southern Baptist Convention. SBC This Week is hosted by Amy Whitfield and Jonathan Howe. Hey, Jonathan. How's it going? Well, it's uh, it's uh, been a bit of an interesting week in the SBC. Yes, it has. Um, I don't I don't know that I'd call it a slow one, no. although we don't have a ton of news stories to talk no, about. No, we, we've got a couple of biggies. Uh, we, yeah. got, we, we talked last week on, on last week's episode. We mentioned this week's interview that we've got with Dave Miller. And yes. the announcement of the uh, Pastors Conference roster, we'll get to that here in just a minute. Also, big stuff out of ERLC this week, Wall Street Journal getting involved in denominational issues, which I found odd. Is that a, is that a fair assessment of the Wall Street Journal getting involved in the SBC denominational issues? Uh, yeah, I guess so. I mean, I think throughout our history, there have been moments where mainstream media kind of tracks what's going on. That's part of being uh, the largest Protestant that's denomination in the U.S. They would that, do the same thing to the Catholic yeah. Church and things like that. So I, I guess that's, right. a, that's a fair point. Right. But I would say um, that the decrease of religion reporting kind of as a, a, as a, fo- a focus of the press um, would have affected that. So I don't think I think there are a lot of stories that probably don't pop up in any denomination that don't pop up on radar screens as much anymore. But this one uh, clearly did. Clearly. Clearly did, and we'll get to that here in just a minute. Before we jump into this week's episode, we want to remind you of the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering. Starting in 1888, the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering was established to empower the international missions efforts of Southern Baptist. After more than a century, the annual offering continues its steady growth, and the national goal this year is $155 million. Your giving enables missionaries to be sent to make disciples and multiply churches among unreached peoples and places for the glory of God. To find out more and to give directly, to the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering. You can do that online at imb.org. That's imb.org. Amy, we took up our big uh, missions offering last week at my church. Exciting times. I know, I think you said that your church was doing that as well. So uh, a lot of churches did that last week or even, you know, kind of continuing giving through this week. You can still give if you missed it at your church or uh, if your church just did not participate, you can still give, like we said, online, imb.org. Yes, uh, so let's get into the news. Uh, Speaking of the Pastors Conference, big slate. Yep, the slate was released last week at sbcvoices.com, and there was also a uh, story about it in BP this week. Amy, uh, just for those who may not have been, you know, tracking with this story, Dave Miller elected this past summer. Uh, We talked about it here on the podcast, but for those that don't know Dave, give us a little background on Dave, Amy, and then we'll go over to the roster. Yeah, so Dave is a pastor in Iowa, uh, has been in the Southern Baptist Convention forever, uh, and he he, he, would, heads he would take up. offense to that. <laughs> I didn't mean it that way. Since I it's founding he's, in eighteen. No, no. He's been a faithful pastor for a very long time, um, and uh, I, I actually love seeing him write about sort of his. Uh, memories through the years of being a Southern Baptist and just how he reflects on that. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but he is sort of the head now, sort of runs things over at the SBC Voices website, uh, which is always bringing some great things, uh, interesting things, uh, to the forefront and a diverse, diverse spectrum of views. Yeah. And, uh, so they, they have some really good writers over there. Uh, but Dave really manages that blog. And so, Back in the summer, they uh, nominated him for president of the pastors conference, but did it on a very specific platform. Yeah, the platform was to have speakers from your, quote, average Southern Baptist church, the smaller churches, the ones that make up the bulk of the denomination. 
and they released their 12 uh, pastors. They, they took submissions from all over. People submitted other pastors. Some pastors, I'm sure, submitted themselves. They got together and listened to sermons a couple weeks ago in St. Louis and came up with the 12 uh, that are um, listed here in the list. And I'm going to go over these. Jose Abella from Providence Road Church in Miami, Florida. Michael Allen from Uptown Baptist Church in Chicago, Illinois. Jamar Andrews from Word Baptist Church in Jonesboro, Arkansas. Bart Barber, friend of the pod, been on the podcast before. First Baptist Church of Farmersville, Texas. David Choi, Church of the Beloved in Chicago, Illinois. Chris Davis from Groveton Baptist Church in Alexandria, Virginia. Shane Hall, First Southern Baptist Church in Oklahoma City. Shane is uh, on the executive committee of the SBC. Uh, Jimmy Meek is at Emmanuel Baptist Church in El Dorado, Arkansas. John Anwuchekwe from Cornerstone Church in Atlanta, Georgia, there with Dehati Lewis. Uh, Spencer Plumley from Riverview Baptist Church in Osage Beach, Missouri. And Ryan Rice Sr. from Life Church in New Orleans, Louisiana. And finally, Nathan Rose from Liberty Baptist Church in Liberty, Missouri, in the Kansas City area, right outside of uh, Midwestern. Nathan writes some stuff over at the Florida Church website. Yeah, so. what a great list. I, I was really excited. The one couple of the ones that really jumped out at me, uh, Shane Hall, as you mentioned, Bart Barber, uh, John O. That's a, yeah. that's what we call him around here. He's one of our well, EDD students. Why would you students. not just go with the whole last name? <laughs> I don't know. I think that's what he goes by a lot. Yeah, I know. Uh, so, because everybody he, looks at the last name and goes, on. <laughs> yes, yeah. So John O. is one of our EDD students at Southeastern, which brings him to campus on occasion. And he's a really, really great, very humble guy. Um, and then he preached in chapel uh, maybe in the spring. I'm trying to remember, did a a phenomenal job. That's one of the chapel sermons that I really remember. I remember a lot of the content. And that's why he gets chosen. Yeah, so it's going to be great. The other thing that's unique to this is uh, for a long time we've had the pastor's conference, and it's had a theme, Yeah. but there's been a lot of latitude for speakers to kind of do different things under that umbrella theme. This is very specific. They are going to preach through the book of Philippians. Yeah. So it'll be expositional preaching through one book of the Bible, all 12 sermons kind of tied together, dovetailed uh, throughout the day and a half in Phoenix. So it promises to be an exciting time and also one that I kind of wonder if we will see this more in the future. Uh, Maybe not with, you know, Dave as the president, obviously, or with different people or with all small church pastors. But if if this kind of format and concept kind of continues on. I'll tell you this, whenever it's been kind of a bigger theme, there's something in me that has uh, wanted to just say, you look at the list and you say, okay, I've got these things I need to do, Yeah. so I'll be in there for that one and for this one and that one. There's something about this one that makes me say, they're going to preach through Philippians. I don't really want to miss chapter two. I think I'm just going to camp out as much as I possibly can. Well, chapters so, one, three, and four are upset with you about that. No, no, I don't mean that. I just mean I, I hit on things and think, I don't know that I want to miss a single verse. So um, obviously you and I go and we're we're working. So sometimes we we do have to, to duck out. But I, I don't know about you. I think I'm going to find myself in the hall more than ever this year. Yeah, I think so. I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm thinking, you know, this is actually something, you know, like you mentioned, in the past you have people that you want to see. I want to see the entire event now, not just yeah. this one guy or this one guy or this one guy. Because some of these guys I know, some of these guys I don't know. So I'm interested to, to hear him preach. And a lot of these guys that I do know never heard preach. Yeah, I'm really excited. Yeah, and uh, a diverse group as well. I don't want to leave that yes. out. Several non-Anglo preachers. Also, 
geographically. One from Georgia, two from Arkansas, one from Louisiana, one from Texas. Everybody else kind of outside of that the Bible Belt area. So, uh, you know, yeah. maybe one from Oklahoma and Missouri. Uh, but, you know, a couple from Chicago, one from Miami, Florida. Not really SBC hotspots, so to speak. Yeah, really, really great. This is exciting. All right, moving over to the ERLC. New law passed last week, which will aid in global religious liberty. I know this is something the ERLC, Russ Moore, Travis Wusso, and the guys over there have really been pushing for, and it got passed last week. It's called the Frank R. Wolf International Religious Freedom Act. Yeah, this is a really big deal, and um, and I think it's a moment where even when uh, many of us have tended to disagree with a lot of, uh, of things that have come out of this particular presidential administration, even as we've respected some things about how our president interacts with his family, you know, all of that, mostly on policies, we haven't had a lot to come in line with, but this, uh, this is a good thing. Yeah, and it was passed without any opposition in either the Senate or the House of Representatives. Uh, so that was uh, good, and it amends the original IRFA uh, which was passed in 1998 by updating some of the measures provisions in an effort to make the federal government's promotion of global religious freedom more effective. So let's just hit on some of the highlights, and you, you can read the entire Baptist Press article. We'll put the link in the show notes. But some of the highlights are uh, this requires the ambassador at large for international religious freedom to be able to report directly to the Secretary of State. That's great. Yeah. It institutes an entities of particular concern category. We've had countries of particular concern, but that's that's actual established countries that are recognized. Entities of particular concern allows us to uh, have this classification in the State Department for groups like um, ISIS, Boko Haram. So it, it, it brings them onto this Yeah, so list. loose terrorist organizations or re- organizations that threaten religious liberty instead of just a state-sanctioned religious liberty threat. Right. Individual right. organizations now have a, you know, this entity is a particular concern category. Yeah. Um, it also establishes a designated persons list for individuals who violate religious freedom, and it authorizes the president to issue sanctions against those who participate in persecution. Uh, and it creates a list of overseas religious prisoners. Um, and then here's another. This is really important. It mandates religious liberty training for foreign services officers for all of them. Now, when you think about the foreign service, I and mean, we're not talking about one uh, office in Washington, D.C., we are talking about a massive number of people all over the world. Um, I, I've, I know some people that are in the Foreign Service. It's a very uh, difficult thing to, as far as testing to, to get into, but they are stationed everywhere in embassies um, all over the place. Mandated religious liberty training for all of them. That's incredibly important. And then uh, a minimum number of full-time staff members in the International Religious Freedom Office at the State Department. So this really got the attention of... Um, of the the White House, and uh, we we this is something to be thankful for. Yeah, and it also comes on the heels of a resolution that was passed in 2015 by the Southern Baptist Convention, encouraging the U.S. government and the officials to elevate religious liberty concerns to the highest priority in foreign policy and in invoking sanctions. And that's kind of what you see with this uh, new version of the International Religious Freedom Act. Yes. And speaking of the ERLC this week, uh, we mentioned it at the top of the show. A lot of uh, things going on. Wall Street Journal, kind of a big deal for the Wall Street Journal, Amy, to cover 
uh, some denominational politics and inner workings. Yeah, you know, a lot of times these are sort of family conversations. I guess we think are important, but the rest of the world doesn't really know what all what all is going on. But this is a little bit different, and uh, these these things are going to happen when we're the largest Protestant denomination in America, that occasionally folks are going to look in on our conversations. Yes, and we've got the link to the original article at the website at sbcthisweek.com. You can find that there, as well as a link to a open letter that was published later in the week from Micah Fries, Nathan Finn, and John Aiken, pastors and denominational leaders in the state of Tennessee. Yeah, uh, there really have been a lot of things. We can throw a lot of links in. Uh, like you said, the original article, also a post by... Uh, Russell Moore that was along the same topic hit at this, the same time that the Wall Street Journal article was coming out and, uh, you know, a few others that have have uh, given some thought. I think the open letter is uh, I think it, it, it was a very interesting one. It's, you know, like you said, two Tennessee pastors and a, a Union University professor names that are, are known to, to most people really uh, calling folks to sort of come together under what we care about most, which is missions. Yeah, and bigger than just the the latest controversy du jour, revolving really a, around a lot of things that we've had different discussions and disagreements about over the past few years within the denomination. But you said, like you said, missions is that which unites us. Right. As we say, we're we are always discussing things that are happening every week, conversations that matter to us, topics that are on our minds. But the truth is, we know there are other facts that are real. There are 11,553 people groups around the world. There are 6,842 people groups where evangelical Christians make less than 2% of the total population. 3,069 unreached people groups, not engaged by anyone. I mean, these are the things that concern us most. And I think when you look at some of these articles and you look at people that are on every side of this conversation, the one thing that we do see is that everyone cares about that. Yes, and that's a good reminder, and especially at this time of year with the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, we, we mentioned it at the top of the show uh, with our quote-unquote sponsor, uh, for the month, uh, we you know kind of foregoing a sponsor in favor of the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, and it, it missions is that thing that unites Southern Baptists. Uh, we have come together the cooperative program, everything that we do, it, it kind of all funnels back to mission, and that's something that doesn't need to be lost uh, whenever we do have these denominational dust ups that uh, arise. Yeah, and one thing we have to remember too, we certainly have to have some of these conversations. There are things we have to figure out, but when the world is watching us, when those things rise to the top, that they see that what unites us matters more to us than what divides us, I think that's an important statement uh, to them. So this certainly will be interesting to see uh, to see how it all plays out. I know a lot of people um, are watching it. I'm going to guess that if you're listening to this, if you if you're interested in this stuff enough to listen to a podcast about the Southern Baptist Convention, you've probably been tracking this story already. Yeah, just a um, bit. So, yeah, so we'll, we'll certainly keep an eye on it, but, uh, but, but I think, I think most of us are aware of it. And we definitely need to be uh, in prayer that as we handle these situations that we would uh, be prepared to stand together. Uh, moving over to the West Coast, Amy. Gateway, the new Bay Area campus. Uh, we've talked about the the new main campus they have down in the Los Angeles area in right. Ontario, California. They have a new Bay Area campus uh, that's going to replace, I guess, the the Mill Valley campus. Uh, it's in Fremont, California, and it opens on January 10th. And spring classes will begin there later in the month. 
Yes. Uh, so, and this is, it's kind of an extension center now. So it's like, almost like a flipping that their main campus yeah. has moved up, but then they have a, a small, um, a small area, but it's in a different uh, spot. They, they talk about how uh, in Mill Valley, they were on one highway. There's now like 10 highways nearby, lots of uh, Yeah, they're of over churches. there by the 49er stadium, the Levi stadium. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, a really great location, but they'll have a complete library, classrooms, offices, full-time faculty and staff. So this isn't just like an extension center where yeah. they're kind of dropping in and, and out. It's it's a fully functioning campus. Very similar to what Southwestern has with their Houston campus. They've, they've yes. got the full big campus in Fort Worth, but they also have a fully functioning campus, library, everything in Houston. That's right. Uh, MDiv, Master of Theological Studies, MA in Educational Leadership, and Diplomas in Educational Leadership and Theology uh, will be offered there. So uh, really exciting to see what's continuing to happen in California. Yeah, that's going to be run by Rick Durst. Uh, he'll be the director of the San Francisco area campus. Congratulations to Jeff Orge and all the progress they have made out there at Gateway Seminary with the move, with the name change, now with the uh, the new campus opening up in the Bay Area in January. Yes. All right, Amy. We have more state convention recaps this week. Yes, yes. Uh, for the two, uh, for the, the two of us again. Ends. I know we have no sense of geography. Yes, but we haven't proclaimed it to be finished anymore. Every week we've been like, "We're sorry," and we're not going to say this again. Never. Uh, but here we are. So, uh, apologies to Michigan. Uh, they had their meeting and reported on uh, on that. And they are going to forward a larger percentage of CP receipts to uh, the SBC, um, despite an anticipated decrease uh, in their receipts from uh, their churches. They have 262 churches there. Yeah, looking at an 8% decrease in actual receipts budgeted, uh, but they're going to forward on 32.5% to the CP, up from 31.5% last year. Yes. Uh, so they, it looks like they had, um, a good meeting though. Kevin Ezell was there celebrating missions was their theme. Uh, they elected officers, Jerome Taylor, uh, who was the, the host pastor there. Yeah, home at, field advantage. Yeah. At Eastgate <laughs> Baptist Church, um, in, uh, in Burton, Michigan. First Vice President Nathaniel Bishop, uh, senior from Middle Belt Baptist Church in Inkster. Second Vice President Scott Blanchard uh, at Lake Point Church in Macomb. Recording Secretary Roy Henry, Faith Baptist Church, Battle Creek. And an Assistant Recording Secretary, Jeff Buckholtz, Pastor of Merriman Road Baptist Church in Garden City. All right. So that's Michigan. And also we have Colorado. Now, we talked to Mike Rout last week. Uh, Mike yes. was one of the featured speakers, obviously, as the president of the convention, uh, and they passed a budget of $3.4 million, slightly less than last year, with CP receipts of about $1.9 million. They voted to send 32.5% on to the national CP, uh, which tallies around $646,000, and that's a 2.5% increase from the 2016 allocation. Mike Rout was re-elected president, and Matt Crow, the youth leader, youth pastor, was elected first vice president. He's a youth pastor at First Baptist Church in Black Forest. Second vice president is Jeff Rogers, the associate pastor of Applewood Baptist Church in Wheat Ridge. And Ginger LeBlanc was elected the recording secretary. She's actually a ministry assistant for the convention. Mark Edlin, who's retiring in 2017 in July, we mentioned that last week on uh, last week's episode in the interview with Mike Rout. He also announced some staffing changes. Ron Clement and Jim Maslowski have left the state convention. Uh, they're moving on to uh, other leadership roles in uh, different areas. And they had uh, about 155 messages. A really solid meeting 
155 messengers met in Colorado uh, for the size of the convention. That's a, that's a really good uh, number. They had 368, only 368 churches in the convention out there in Colorado. And, uh, you know, we, we heard a lot about Colorado. If you're more interested in that, you can go back and listen to last week's episode. We had Mike Rat on here. He did a great job explaining the differences and the challenges of ministering out there in Colorado. Yep. Excellent. Excellent. All right. Moving on to uh, Missouri, not a state convention meeting, but some news coming out of the Missouri Baptist Convention. Why don't you break this down for us, Jonathan? Well, we talked recently about the Missouri Baptist, how they took back control or were given back control, I guess, of the Missouri Baptist Foundation who had broken away in September 2001. After 15 years of legal efforts, uh, they finally restored control of that to the Missouri Baptists uh, due to some separation issues that uh, some of the entities had there in Missouri. Now, in 2001, the Missouri Baptist University, the Missouri Baptist Home, which is a three-campus senior adult residential ministry, as well as Windermere Conference Center, they all broke away from the Missouri Baptist Convention. But Circuit Court Judge Frank Conley, uh, who decided the foundation case and had basically placed stays on the Missouri Baptist University and Baptist Home uh, breakaway cases, uh, basically said that they did not follow through and the, the wording of the charter did not allow them to break away without convention approval. Now, since he ruled on the Missouri Baptist Foundation and ruled that it should come back under the Missouri Baptist's control, he is also ruling on these two cases, and we should expect a ruling by early next year. And if you got to think that the language is the same in all three charters and all three instances were very similar, it kind of looks like all three should play out similarly. I mean, we have to wait for the, the ruling here, but I, I think... We have the same judge, same charter language, and same type of breakaway. It seems like we could have the same results as well next year. Okay. Well, that's a very interesting case. And, and uh, you know, these pop up every now and then, and it seems like there's a lot of layers. But thank you for uh, for explaining that. Yeah, so 15 years, though, we've uh, been yeah. fighting some legal battles up in Missouri. I, I know that John Yates and the entire Missouri Baptist group uh, will be glad to be putting this behind them, hopefully, in 2017. Now, finally, one other piece of news related to the SBC. A group of 48 evangelical leaders last week uh, sent a letter to President-elect Trump in support of Scott Pruitt, a trustee at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, for the head of the EPA. He's been nominated by President-elect Trump and uh, has received a lot of criticism uh, because of some of his stances on global warming and climate change. And uh, right. 48 evangelical leaders, many of them Southern Baptist, and uh, sent a letter last week uh, to President-elect Trump in support of his nominee. Yeah, and uh, this is there's an interesting part in the in the letter, and Baptist Press really pulls this out that they said, uh, "We do not deny the existence of climate change nor the urgency of this concern. We affirm an ongoing debate on the proper balance between the unleashing of human enterprise and the protection of creation." We believe that Attorney General Pruitt has been misrepresented as denying settled science when he has actually called for a continuing uh, debate. So uh, it's it, it's a very well worded letter and um, a lot a lot of signatures on that. Um, so that's you know kind of another thing as you said really in the news uh, for Southern Baptists this week. It's funny every time we see one of these with all these lists of names and signatories, your boss is always at the top because of his first name. Right. His name is, it begins with an A. And uh, so it, it typically is always at the top. Of course, whenever I, not that I'm ever in any 
major letters like this, but anywhere I go, when it's time to vote, anything, mine's always at the bottom. Yeah, I don't so, see you down there. Seems like- you don't support Scott Pruitt for EPA? Well, they didn't really ask me, so, you know, that's... But if they had, my name would have been at the bottom. Okay. Uh, as it's at the bottom of all lists. So, Aiken's always at the top, Whitfield's always at the bottom. Uh, we never... N- nobody ever lands in the middle. Yep. Such is your lot in life. So, you, you, you yeah. got moved, You got married, you moved way down the alphabet, didn't you? Right, I was a, I was C. Yeah. But, um, and also, Carter was always really easy. Nobody ever asked how to spell it. Whitfield, they always want to spell it like George. Yeah, with the E uh, in the middle. Whitefield, yeah, yeah. But, uh, Especially but in yeah. the, the church world. Right, right. And then we have to go through, no, we're not related to him at all. But yeah. my husband's a great preacher, but not George. So that's the news for this week, and we mentioned it at the top of the episode. It's our lead story this week, the uh, Pastors Conference roster being announced. And here is our interview with the one and only Dave Miller. Joining us today on SBC This Week is the one and only Dave Miller, the Pastors Conference President for 2017. Dave, thanks for being with us. Good to be here. All right, man. So the list of names just dropped this past week, and you have 12 pastors from around the country, a couple from Chicago, Florida, Oklahoma, Texas, Arkansas, all over from churches that are the average size Southern Baptist Church. So you guys have put together this roster of 12. Tell us what went into that and also how that helps fulfill the vision that you guys cast for the Pastors' Conference when you ran back in June. Well, it was a long process. It's been the most labor-intensive thing. We knew that when we started this. When I first started talking with some of my uh, blogging friends about doing this, it's been almost a year ago that we started talking about it. I said I'm going to need some help knowing that this would really be labor-intensive. We started out in September with uh, nominate your favorite preacher, your favorite Bible expositor. And and we made clear that we were looking for a specific kind of preacher. We eliminated several guys that were excellent preachers. We received nominations from some some men that were great preachers, but they were topical. And I'm not saying that's wrong or bad. It's just we weren't looking for that. That wasn't our that wasn't in our wheelhouse this time. So we eliminated guys that were very good preachers, but they weren't doing text-driven Bible exposition. So uh, by the time that was all done, we ended up with about 120 guys. We listened to everybody twice, and we gave them a numerical rating, and then we went back and and gathered the guys that had received a certain rating, and I and that was about 40, I think it was about 43 or 44 guys. And two or three weeks ago, I think it was six of us gathered in St. Louis. We included a representative of the Caskey Center, which is our partner sponsor that's helping us with all this. And we just listened to sermons for two days. I mean, I have never been that holy in my life. Got I mean, saved 18 of, times, huh? Oh, my goodness. I I was shocked, though. There, The problem we had was not finding 12 preachers. It was whittling it down. Oh, my goodness. There's some really good Bible exposition going on. And I felt bad because several of the guys nominated are friends of mine, guys I know from blogging or guys I just know, friends, uh, people that I think, you know, probably expect that I'd help them out more than I did, you know. Uh, but we just, we tried to be as anonymous as possible. And we started whittling the list down and everybody gave their, you know, we'd listen to a sermon and everybody kind of gave their opinion and took the process pretty seriously. 
But I was just shocked at how good the preachers were. Now, was there anybody, and you don't have to give a name, but was there anybody who just, you, you said, all right, everybody in the room was just, this guy, he's got to be the guy. He's got to be one of them. Was there a couple of those? There were three, actually, okay. and, and I won't give the yeah, name. Yeah, yeah. But there were three that, as we listened to them, I think there were three that stood out that these three, we just sort of agreed, are... Just next level. Yeah. yeah. There's one guy, probably a future... I think it's good we got him now because if we're going with churches under 500, probably in four or five years, it won't be long, huh? He he won't be he yeah. won't be uh, well, and, in and our, that's encouraging in our because wheelhouse. a lot of these guys are young as well. Uh, so, and you you even mentioned how you had this deep, you know, 40 different people, and it was just so hard paring it down to 12, right? And you know, even to start with the 120. Uh, and, and to get to that, I mean, that's very encouraging for the future of the Southern Baptist Convention when it comes to preaching. Right. It is. And I think, you know, when I went to seminary back, you know, before they had the wheel and air and fire and all that, we were actually, now, I went to Southwestern before the CR changed things. So my preaching professors, let's just say I had a strong disagreement with a lot of what they said, <laughs> but expositional preaching was not a high priority. Yeah. It was three points in a poem. I mean, that was what I was taught. Well, and that's totally different with uh, Herschel York at Southern and Tony Marita and Jim Shaddix over at Southeastern. I know the, the big emphasis in text-driven preaching at Southwestern. Now the mm -hmm. Rogers Center coming down to, to uh, New Orleans. And then all the, uh, the right. preaching and everything that, that Dr. Allen and mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Deucing have brought in, the emphasis right. up there at Midwestern, and, and even out of Golden Gate. I mean, just the, the preaching quality, right. the teaching of preaching in our seminaries now right. is probably as strong as it's ever been. Yes, and, and that showed that there there were guys. I remember one guy, probably the best preacher that we had in handling the text, but he was not a good he was not a good homiletician. He you know he yeah. he didn't make it out of the first round because but he was excellent at handling the text. You know, he pastors at a small church somewhere, and you know what? His people get fed every week. That little church, they get the word of God. I was just really surprised and at how many good preachers. We, well, I don't know if I was surprised. I, I was pleased. We could have easily filled three pastors' conferences with twelve speakers each time. Yeah, we could have done it three times, and the quality would not have suffered. Well, Dave, there's no rule against running again for re-election. Yes, there is. It's <laughs> there is called a rule. Sanity. Okay. Sanity prevents it. So let, now that we've got the selection, let's move on to both the text and the format. You mentioned expositional preaching. You guys are going to go through the book of Philippians. Right. Lay out the, the kind of the plan for that. Well, we're still working on the plan. We're doing a thing I don't think it's ever been done. Uh, I hate to give credit to my friend Bart Barber, but he came up with an idea, and I should credit him, but we're going to be working Southwestern Seminary is hosting us, and we're bringing all 12 of the speakers there's one of them that had planned a revival that week, so we might not be able to be there. But in February, the first week of February, we're going to have a colloquium where all of the speakers are going to be there. We're going to spend two days studying the text of Philippians, outlining it, looking at some of the problems, getting a general feel for the book. The guys are going to have access to the library and kind of get a, a running head start three or four months before the convention and kind of come up with a, a common theme. We're trying to work as a team this year, not 12 individual speakers, but, 
you know, work together as a team. We, we spent a lot of time discussing what book to preach and uh, Colossians was one and, but Philippians I chose for several reasons. One is that it's a book about joy and a book about encouragement. It doesn't have some of the theological minefields. We just wanted to stay away from that. We didn't want to have to get into any of the things that would potentially cause division. So if you find some of those theological minefields in Philippians, you're looking for them, you know. Yeah. It's a text about preaching the gospel, exalting Christ, and finding joy even in hardship. And I mean, I think it's a message we need to hear. And, and I don't think it's one that it matters much what, uh, which of the theological camps you come from. It's just the word of God. So as we get closer to the pastor's conference, uh, how can listeners be praying for you and your team? Well, mostly I would ask them to pray for the speakers. We're nearing some of the, the bigger projects being done. We've got a lot of our financing in order. We've still got quite a bit of work to do there. We've got the preachers selected, and we've got a lot of that stuff. We've done some of those big tasks, but our determination is we want the Word of God to be the celebrity. That's kind of our little byline. We want the Word of God to stand out. And so there's no way you can do that unless these guys do a good job. You know, and I we picked them because we thought they would. We picked them because they seemed like humble men. They seemed like men who cared about the text. They seemed like what we wanted, you know, that we picked them carefully. So I would say the main prayer is to pray for the, the 12 men we picked, that God would work in them, that they would stay healthy, that they would have insight into the text, that pray for them because we have to be really strict. I mean, we've got this thing planned. I mean, it's down to the minute. All right. Well, Dave, we thank you for joining us today. Wishing you and your team all the best. And I can't wait to see and hear uh, the preaching out there in Phoenix in June. You try to behave. All right, man. Thanks. Yeah, be good. All right. Thanks for that, Jonathan. Uh, Again, as I said before, I'm really, really excited about this uh, in Phoenix. Yep. And congrats again to Dave and his team. I know they put a lot of work into this. It's not easy to, to run this thing. And there, there's a lot of uh, things that are going on and moving pieces that have to be figured out. And uh, they have done a great job with that. I can't wait to see what's going to happen in Phoenix. That's going to bring us to my favorite part of the week this week in SBC history. Amy, blow our minds. Since we've got some highlight episodes coming up that aren't really going to be current. And uh, so it's going to be a little while before we're back to our normal routine. I'm making up for it this week because I got three things to talk about. All right. Three. Yes. One of them is just a re, uh, rehashing of last year's This Week in SBC History, which I think this is the one week that we should just mention this one thing every time. And that is uh, Christmas Eve 1912 uh, was the day that Lottie Moon died. Oh, OK. Um, so that's a really important date in SBC history. Um, so December is just a really important month to reflect on her. Um, now, you know who owns the copyright to Lottie Moon Christmas Offering? No. The WMU. WMU. Yeah, that's right. That's and right. Annie Armstrong. Was, yes. And uh, if we have any listeners in Virginia, particularly Central Virginia, she is buried there uh, right. in in Crewe. Uh, but I wanted to bring that up. But I can't let that be my only one because I did that one last year. So Cheater. Then I went searching for one for this year, and I found two really great stories. Right. So I had to do that. One of them is kind of a, just an interesting trivia. And then the other one I found kind of inspiring. 
So first we're going to go to 1973. We're hanging out in the 70s this time. A Baptist Press story from December 21st. It doesn't say which Sunday evening service um, that they're referring to for this event, but uh, it had to have been really close by. All right, First Baptist Dallas. Chriswell would have been pastor then? Yes, he was the pastor. So they did a dramatization of Handel's Messiah. When uh, when it was over, this man came forward, introduced himself as Leonard Bernstein Jr. All right, so Leonard Bernstein, uh, for those of you who maybe the name sounds a little familiar, but you're not sure, he's a world-famous uh, conductor. Oh, okay. Not the guy and with his, the bears? No. Um, that's, yeah, not Berenstein. Oh. Bernstein. Uh, Leonard Bernstein uh, attended Calvary Baptist Church in New York City. So this guy shows up, says, I'm Leonard Bernstein Jr. I'm his son. Gave them a check for $20,000 and got a standing ovation. This is at this Sunday evening service. So then a church member goes up and says, you know, he seems, uh, Leonard Bernstein is only like 55. He seems a little young to be the father of this person. So the director, uh, the business administrator starts checking with the bank. Uh, and the very next day, the director of communications announces it was all a fake. The check was not real. Um, it, there was no account. There was no, um, Leonard Bernstein Jr. Leonard Bernstein actually had, um, a son who's a student at Harvard. So he really wasn't connected to Calvary Baptist Church in New York. The guy just said that. And, then it comes out that a man fitting the same description had done it in Oklahoma and had been jailed for impersonation. So why do you do it? I'm looking at the story. I can't figure out the reason. It, they don't know. I don't think they actually found him. Dr. Criswell said that on the Sunday afternoon before, he had gotten a phone call from an official from ABC TV in New York uh, or saying it was, saying a man named Leonard Bernstein Jr. would fly into Dallas on Sunday night for the performance. And there was no real reason to doubt this because there had been television networks talking to them about televising it. So it wasn't like it was a weird thing. They figured it out quickly. Uh, and, and so it's kind of this strand. I mean, he comes forward and he says this and he hands a check for $20,000. Of course, the church is going to react this way. But very quickly, uh, it was sort of discovered. But I just thought this was crazy. Huh. So... Anyway, uh, kind of interesting thing that happened this week in SBC history. But I found something else from 1975, and this was really what I wanted to throw out there, especially since we've been talking about Lottie Moon so much. This is uh, a story out of Applewood Baptist Church in uh, Colorado. You, I think that was already mentioned in the Colorado Baptist Convention. They had an associate pastor who was elected to an officer. Uh, their pastor... Uh, there, uh, Calvin Whitman, I used to come uh, to, to Southern a lot, was a student there, so I, n- I know a lot about Applewood. In 1975, it was announced they'd given 10 times the Lottie Moon offering as four years before. That's because Leonard Bernstein had written a check for the ballots. Well done. That, that was a great little segue, but not true. So in 1971, they had given $4,000 to Lottie Moon. That has the, that, that's about $23,771 in today's money. So think about that, $23,000 uh, counting for inflation. By 1975, their offering looked like it was going to reach $40,000, which is about $182,000 uh, for us today. That's a wow. massive jump. 
And when you look at the story, uh, their pastor, Luther Mann, seems like a really, uh, just a, just a great thing. He was turned down by the foreign mission board to serve three times because of medical problems. Uh, so he had this real heart for missions, um, wanted so much uh, to go himself, but because he couldn't, he turned around and said, I'm going to leave my church, uh, and we're going to give. And there's a great, uh, this great story just talks about how they, he, they sent people on mission tours. Um, so then the folks in their church get, um, get to, uh, to see what's going on. They have four, had four couples from their church at the time serving as missionaries. Um, he said, we now have many people who give 30, 40, and 50% of their income to Christ's work. Businessmen have dedicated their business to Christ. Um, just, just a really miraculous, uh, a really miraculous thing about how they started to, they started to change the emphasis from how much do you think we can give to how much do you think God wants us to give? And so just this kind of moving snowball. Uh, so really incredible story. Uh, we'll share that in the show notes as well as a story about Applewood from 2006 in Baptist Press that just talks about uh, the, the title is Applewood, a church with missions in, uh, its makeup. And, uh, that was that year in 2006, their Lottie Moon Christmas offering check was $180,885. Uh, and, and the, the statement in, in that article is, um, Tom Ellef said, missions is in the DNA of that church. Um, so you look at, at everything that Applewood has done and the impact they have made on, uh, missions in the field and some way, uh, it all started this week in SBC history and, uh, would that all of our churches, uh, would be like that one. Yeah, that's fantastic. It's amazing to think that a church of, you know, running 300 in Sunday school would give $180,000 in, you know, today's money, uh, yeah. for, for missions. That That's fantastic. Yep. Really great. So I couldn't let it pass by. All right. Well, that's uh, this week in SBC history. Now, Amy, I, I've been alluding to it a little bit this week on my personal Twitter, at um, Jonathan underscore how. I found right. some gold uh, that you tipped me off to in SBC right. history this week. Right. It, it's But it's not It's not until February, February that it really The story's hit. in February, so we'll get there. I'm telling you, do not miss the first week of February, uh, SBC history. And, and then also, I've got some ideas maybe for some later things as well related to this. Uh, it, it, yeah. Who knew? I, I got to give them a little heads up though, but who knew the SBC and I didn't know this did a uh, MTV road rules style TV show back in the early two thousands. It's, it's out there people and it's spectacular. Yeah. This popped up because uh, you were having an, an interaction on Twitter with Lizette Beard and road rules was mentioned, I think yes. in that. And I saw it and I thought, Oh, I wonder if he knows about this. Uh, so I, I threw that out to you and I, your, your shock really kind of came through in, in the message. So you're, you're getting to learn more about that story, yep. but it's, it's a pretty good one. So some of you may actually know about that. Uh, we're going to really get into covering it in February because it's there, they're up on an anniversary as well. Yep. It'd be the uh, 15 year anniversary of the show. Yes. So, uh, so don't miss. Yeah, don't miss the, that one. You, the, you gotta the, see the, that. I'm trying to get the, uh, the videos digitized. I found them at the archives yesterday. And, yeah. uh, and literal needle in a haystack kind of thing. They were uncatalogued in a room, eight feet tall, 10 feet tall, whatever it was, hundreds of videotapes spine out with no labeling at all. 
with and there thousands were. of tapes. And I just happened to pick off the right one on like the second shot about 30 seconds into to being in the room across the street and miraculously found these tapes and they are spectacular. There they so, were. So. Uh, we know some people and we have, and it's possible that we have some listeners uh, that one of the people that is in the show maybe even listens to the podcast. I don't know. So I'm going to, I'm going to do some digging this week, some where are they nows and, and we'll, we'll figure it out. But I'm telling you 2017, this is going to be some gold for uh, the 15th yes. anniversary of the SBC road rules. Yes. Uh, very fascinating. So, so anyway, all right, that's our history moment. That'll move us on to resource of the week. Before we get there, reminder, Lottie Moon, you've mentioned it uh, several times throughout this show. Give at imb.org if you're not already giving through your church. And that's going to move us to our resource of the week. Amy, your resource of the week is? Mine is a book that I can't wait to read, but I can't get to it uh, because it's sold out everywhere. So I'm really? on a waiting list. I'm on a waiting list on Amazon. It must not be anything that I have authored. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure if if anything goes out there, it will sell out immediately. Yeah, I'm uh, sure, this, yeah. is, this is a book called The Revenge of Analog. I've seen tremendous reviews of it. Um and it just looks fascinating. And it is about the fact that in spite of the sort of digital revolution that we have been on over the last 10 years, that certain sort of odd things are, are happening that, that were unexpected, like independent bookstores are on the rise and they're succeeding. Um, vinyl records, which I'm an avid vinyl uh, collector. Uh, but vinyl records are on the rise and in even, and in some categories, some places even outselling, uh, digital music and, and things like that. So it's this idea that, um, in an age where we can get everything, uh, on our phones at a moment's notice, uh, people are starting to crave, uh, the tangible and just what that's, what that is in our culture, how that's playing out. Um, so I've seen a ton of great reviews about this, but in a, a lot of irony, it is basically just sold out everywhere. But it's it's available on Kindle, and I just but <laughs> that doesn't I just, seem right. I know I just don't want to read it on Kindle. It just seems like a book like this you have to read on a paper. So I've I've ordered it on Amazon, which means it's basically like this wait list until they can get more printed. I tried to reserve it at my Barnes and Noble here, but uh, they were sold out by the time like I, I got an email that said, no, they're all gone. Uh, so I just decided to kind of give up and go on the wait list. But in once you purchase it, if you're waiting, they do send like they'll they'll send a sample or a section of the beginning to your Kindle. So I could start it if I wanted to. I'm going to see how long this takes because uh, I just think it, if you're going to read something like that, you, you should read yeah. it on paper. So I, I encourage everybody, check it out even if you can't get it right away uh, because I am, I'm very excited about reading this and just kind of an aspect of our culture that's worth considering. Yeah, and you know, you talk about the rise of analog. I, I went across the street and checked out VCR tapes this week. I actually had to hook up the VCR at my house yesterday and put a VHS tape in the thing and, and listen to that. So who knows, maybe SBC tapes, uh, will be, you know, all the rage in the next couple of years. Dave Miller's going to put the, uh, the pastor's conference audio on vinyl. They're going to be pressing yes. vinyl there at yes. the convention. I mean, vinyl is, uh, independent bookstores, the Nintendo classic, you got all oh, these yeah, yeah, yeah. X Xboxes, all this stuff. Um, but those are, selling out immediately people really want uh, I think it's more than nostalgia 
they're they're talking about people want to really be sort of in touch with a slower um thing. We have a, a Nintendo arcade game that has the old NES yeah. um games on it and so it's all that pixelated it's just a slower experience and there's something to the fact that that pendulum seems to be swinging back uh so i think it'll be a very interesting yeah. study it's, it's speaking of slower like experiences it's kind of like using a pc so. yes okay <laughs> moving sort on of a Mac, yeah. all right my resource of the week the bowden dynasty new film coming to theaters nationwide january the 8th only it's a, a one-time event uh, really telling the story of Coach Bobby Bowden. We we know of him, his faith, his uh, family, and his football. Uh, you know the former coach at Florida State University. So sure to be a, a big thing for college football fans. So if you're a, you've got a college football fan in a family, some tickets to this for Christmas would be a nice little stocking stuffer. Uh, so check that out. It's only in cinemas January the eighth. So it's a one night only premiere, six p.m. Eastern, five p.m. Central. Tape delayed to the West Coast and Mountain Times as well. Uh, for six at both of those. They'll have, they'll show the film, and then they'll have a, a broadcast from uh, the Mahaffey Theater in downtown St. Petersburg, Florida, uh, which will be, you know, kind of, it's on the the night before the national championship game. So sure to be a, a good film about Bobby Bowden, his family, his faith, and uh, some football in there as well. Fantastic. That sounds like a lot of fun. All right. For, for more information on that, you can either visit fathomevents.com or bowdendynasty.com or just follow the link over at SBC This Week. All right, Emmy, that's going to do it for us. We hope all of our listeners have a very Merry Christmas, and uh, we will be back with uh, an episode next week talking about the uh, 2016, what we expected to see and what we actually saw from the Southern Baptist Convention. Merry Christmas. Thanks for listening. Uh, We hope you have a great holiday. All right, that's going to do it for us this week. We'll see you next week. See you next week. See you next week.